Welcome to our Twitter Spaces today. Uh, very happy to host NTV Business Reporter and editor Julian Samboko. So we'll get started very quickly. It's only going to be an hour long. It's more of a deep dive into how he does business. He's one of the people I really admire in terms of how they do conduct interviews. For the longest time possible, he's been an interviewer. So today we interview him just to get his story. So Julian, Karibu Sana. Tell us a bit about what you do and what you've been up to today as a business editor. Thanks, Eric. My name, as mentioned, is Julian Samboko. I'm the business editor at NTV Kenya, a role I have held since January of 2020. And so my day-to-day is basically providing editorial guidance on matters regarding stories developing around finance, economics, and capital markets, as well as looking at issues around the micro, small, and medium-sized space. I have a weekly show on NTV every Tuesday at 7.30 called Business Redefined, which is a platform which seeks to enhance financial literacy, deal with the issues of public policy, as well as raise awareness on matters regarding capital markets. CFO Chat is designed to be your go-to point for any corporate actions developing in predominantly the Nairobi Securities Exchange. So a corporate action around results, earnings, equity, debt, issuance. We quickly sit down with the CFO of a listed company and we are able to do a deep dive into the issues surrounding the various developing issues. We should be launching a new platform called Samani. Samani is designed to cater to the mid and bottom tier of this market, specifically the micro, small and medium-sized businesses. So the whole agenda here is just to raise awareness around the economic landscape, investments, finance, and what's happening in Kenya and the region at large. So Eric and the team, that's what I do. I'm happy to continue with more issues. I think I want to start more with your career so far. How has the journey been? Did you always want to be a business editor or did it just come by later in life? So maybe you can give us a thumbnail sketch of your career so far. Thank you. So my background, maybe let me start from there. My background is economics, both undergraduate and postgraduate. In my master's, I did an MSc in economic policy, focusing largely on monetary policy. And my first job was in financial advisory, more on the sell side. So I was in the deal structuring. A lot of the M&A activity that took place in this market between 2014 and 2018, that was with the Stratlink Africa off Riverside Drive. And that was an exciting phase because at the time, this market was really booming with PE transactions. We were seeing uh, the capital markets, the, the public market now slowing down in terms of IPOs, etc. A lot of it was going to the private and disclosed. So that's the space I was in. I did that for uh, seven years. I was uh, head of research on that side. So any company which was coming into this market, I did the, the due diligence, the market entry analysis, market landscaping, strategy development. So in 2018, I frankly just got bored and uh, also I had a very young family and transaction advisory space would appreciate. It becomes your life. It could easily become your life. Crazy hours, you don't have much time and your social life does take a toll from it, especially at the stage where you have a very young family. So I attended my resignation sometime in September and took a leap of faith. At the time, NTV happened to be scouting for new talents to come and take up the role of a business anchor. And it was suggested to me, I came, I did my screen test. I got feedback. I was taken on board in October of 2018. So I began as a business reporter covering whatever other story was developing. Then um, increasingly becoming more niched towards the capital markets, public finance and public finance focusing mainly on taxation and issues regarding January 2020s when I was made business editor. And it's been an exciting journey ever since rolling out new products, unlocking new opportunities in terms of dissemination of information. So that's how my career path thus far looks like. 
Great. I should say in 2012, I actually applied to be a business journalist with Citizen. I never had back from them. So maybe I was terrible at this and maybe I actually shouldn't uh, stick to finance the way I have since. It's great that at least you got the opportunity and took the leap of faith at that juncture. But then like how has the experience been in the business reporting world and how is it different with being an analyst? You also leverage a lot of the skills which you learned in your analyst position now in your current role because I see it in the way you ask questions and in the way you do analysis and the posts that you make. How do you mesh the two, being an analyst and still being the journalist and still putting up incredible numbers in terms of the guests that you bring on your shows? I'm a firm believer that the fusion between finance, economics, and communications is a very powerful one. So at the back of my mind, this had been something because even when I was doing a transaction advisory, I used to do a lot of interviews with the media houses, CGTN, Bloomberg, CNBC Africa. And it was at the back of my mind that this is something we could actually just find a concentric area between the two and see how to play with that. So the journey has been exciting and quite a steep learning curve because one is that the tricky thing is that you must address the market needs. Now, many times the media here is bashed for having a skew towards politics. The, the truth is the media just gives the market what it wants. And if you want to do a very simple test, every time we have a bulletin, just go to YouTube the next day and see which are the most viewed stories. You'll find the traction was mainly on the political stories. If I do a story such as Kenya is issuing another euro bond, it will be almost a third as many clicks as the political stories generated. And finally, when all is said and done, NMG and other media houses are a business like any other. So we want traction, we want footfall, we are here to make money. So trying to put out content, which first of all is deemed uh, a little bit above the market in terms of depth and rigor was a bit of a challenge and uh, finding your space and finding an audience which is receptive to that. Because again, finally, you must justify your, the, the real estate you're given on screen with the, the traction you're getting. I must say that uh, the market is slowly turning around increasingly. We have a lot of appetite for business redefined. For many people, it has become the go-to point when something is developing in the market. I'll give you an example. On Monday this week, NSE went live with day trading. I had a flurry of messages on my inbox in terms of when are you having a conversation just to help us understand what this whole day trading thing is for a company has released earnings and you actually get the, the chief financial officer of the company reaching out. Can we get an opportunity? to be on your platform on CFO chat, to just have a conversation around these numbers. They might not be good, especially in the COVID environment, but we just want to be able to articulate our issues and why our performance is taking the profile that it is. So it's a journey. Let me put it that way. It's a journey. This market still has a lot of opportunity to unlock. There are things which we haven't even try to delve into in terms of rigor and depth and just putting out a product which then speaks to the market interests, whether it's uh, specifically catering to investment bankers, for instance. So that's how it's been. It's been developing products, testing them in the markets. But so far, I must say we've been so privileged that the three products we put out, uh, the business redefined CFO chat now going with some money, the feedback has been quite, quite encouraged. The three products that you've launched, I know you started with business redefined. How is it like testing the market with the product and going to the market with it? And also like the response. I know the response right now is a bit more. Right now, everyone agrees it is a successful business show. But then I'm sure that the beginnings wasn't that easy in terms of convincing people to give you a one-hour space. So maybe you can give us the story around you starting off and maybe pitching it and now finally actually having a successful show like that. 
So the start of Business Redefined was actually Business Redefined was born at the heart of COVID. And it was a very difficult moment. First is that because many people were now constrained to working from home. And when you're working from home, your break easily is to sleep on your screen and you want to watch, based on the numbers we see, you want to watch a soap opera or you want to watch some comedy and stuff like that. Across the industry, Tuesday between 7.30 and 8 p.m. is not the time that you will find content like Business Redefined on air. So I'm really thankful to my bosses for accepting to give it that slot because it's a prime slot and uh, the competition has content which generally would just attract the masses and, you know, take all the numbers away. So Business Redefined was an adventure. So the first thing was just asking ourselves, who are we targeting in this show? And my, my points were one. We have a huge financial literacy gap in this market. Many guys are not even aware which investment opportunities exist. So first of all, we want to bridge that gap. And if you look at our shows, you'll find shows like demystifying money market funds. You'll find episodes where we just delved into issues of how do you prepare for retirement and your pension plans? So the first issue was what are we trying to address here? The second pillar of business redefined was we want to be the platform for addressing policy issues in Kenya tend to be around taxation. So the finance bill is coming out. What's the developing issue around excise duty? What's the developing issue around VAT? Why are pump prices so high in this market? So it became another avenue for policy discussions delving into the same. The third angle was the micro, small and medium sized businesses. And that's why like four months ago, we had a long running series of women in enterprise because there are very strong businesses out here ran by women. They might not be top tier, but in their space, they are doing amazing stuff. If they show you their numbers in terms of turnover, it's crazy. This is a big players in this economy. But then you realize they have challenges around issues like bookkeeping. And that's why they're not investment ready. So how do we create an ecosystem where we have a platform where the proprietor of the business is, is present? And we also have persons who are enabled to advise them on issues of bookkeeping. So those are the three pronged areas we were looking at when we came up with Business Redefined. It has been a very good journey with it. The feedback has been immense. There's a lot of appetite now for the product. Issues will be emerging in this market and we receive questions. Can we have a session? discussing one, two, three things, especially when you get to the thick and thin of the budget cycle from March when the finance bill is published up to June when we have the budget, it's always a platform to unpack all the developing issues around taxation in this country. So that's the journey of business redefined thus far. And I must say, we, we feel truly, truly honored for the platform that we have and the kind of response that we get. And uh, just to focus now on refining the product, developing a lot more, seeing what pockets we can. Like CFO chat was basically a spin-off from Business Redefined because we realized there's an audience which wants a lot more rigor, a lot more depth, especially around corporate actions. But that, that audience is so niched, you can't again put it on the same platform as, as Redefined is. And that's how we ended up with CFO chat. Being at Mongo Capital, we've been at it for less than a year. What has inspired us along the way is also listening to the business redefined, especially we take a lot of notes from the way you ask questions. We do listen to that. So I think that's been an incredible inspiration for us. Also. So we see ourselves as more complimentary in the sense of just taking what you're doing and putting notes on them and just putting it on Twitter and trying as much as possible to make sure as many people get access to it. What's the process like to doing one episode of Business Redefined? How do you get started? How do you put up the questions and producing it? Just maybe a little bit of a tip on how it looks like behind the scenes by the time you get to the show. A great point there, Eric. So 
the end-to-end of business we defined is really straightforward. So for instance, typically we would be driven with what's, what's the hot discussion right now? So like every 14th of the month, we always know that pump prices would be an issue because the Energy and Petroleum Regulatory Authority issues a new guideline in terms of pricing. So like two months ago, when it was such a hot subject, we said, why not? Why not have the Petroleum Institute of East Africa? So you identify the topic and then the question becomes, who would be a suitable guest? to address this issue in a very holistic manner. They can address the industry perspective. They can address the policy perspective. They can as well address the consumer perspective. So many a time you'll find that you have guests, but if you bring this particular guest, they'll be more skewed on one side. Maybe it's a government official. They'll be more on the defensive side in such an issue. Maybe it's an oil market retailer. They wouldn't be a good voice, but of course they have their interest in this in terms of supply emergence. So what you do then is you find an almost neutral voice. Many a time we reach out to entities such as the Institute of Economic Affairs because they're a think tank. They do a lot of research into this kind of issues. And when they put their voices out there, it's a very authoritative voice because finally you want authoritative voices speaking to the issues of public interest. So you identify the topic, you identify a suitable audience, then now you, you slot the interview, you book the interview at the time of the convenience of the guest and as well as yourself. So what goes on air for Business Redefined is about 24 minutes. The typical shoot for Business Redefined is a 45 minutes recording because what that does then is to give you some wiggle room when you come to editing. You can get rid of a question, you can swap the questions from part one to part two, depending on the weight. Sometimes you find that your guests in part one wasn't so comfortable because they're not used to cameras. In part two is when they come firing from all barrels and therefore your part two becomes your part one and your part one becomes your part two. So all those dynamics now come into play. The editing is pretty straightforward. And then you promo the show, you do a, a promo piece, just giving sneak peek and you put it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook to ensure that then the audience is aware of the, the discussion that is coming up on Tuesday and why it's important to them. So you, then you're able to build a lot of appetite for it. And once the show, I mean, gets on air, you try as much as you can to promote it via social media activity. Sometimes you, you'll chop off some pieces and just tweet them out as the show continues. And then that, that essentially is the end to end of it. Now, after that is normally the postmortem. So almost once every quarter, I take the numbers for business redefined. I look at which, which shows were the strongest in terms of viewership, which ones weren't and why weren't. Is it that the audience was not resonating with the, the guest? That was the topic just uh, mistimed in terms of the airing. So ma many factors come into play and that is where now your entire ecosystem in terms of your show producer, your editors come in and, and chip in in terms of their thoughts. Great. I think uh, I want to introduce Bonnie, my co-host. Uh, maybe Bonnie, you can go ahead and ask. Thank you so much. I still have one, but maybe you just point to us, a team of the business you defined, like how many team members are you managing? So how is the team that supports Business Redefined like? So it's a very lean team, to be honest. It's essentially myself as the host and my show producer, a guy called Mark Ndome, who is very supportive, largely on the logistics, ensuring that we have a venue for the shooting. We get all the equipment that we need. So, I mean, that's pretty much it, to be honest. Once in a while, my colleague called Alex Mwangi has stepped in to help me host when, for whatever reason, I'm unable to do so. But that's, that's really what goes into it. So that the, the bulk of the work, which is essentially the research and digging into the content falls largely on you as the host to ensure that you are well prepared and you are tackling the issues, which would be expected to be handled on such a show. 
Great. I would want to maybe chat a little bit about the CFO chart and your new show that you're coming up with. How do you find the balance, say, between the business can also be very technical often and also at the same time retaining the audience attention throughout this period? Because finance and business generally can also, you can be lost in the numbers and you actually don't even know what is being discussed at the end of the day. So how do you balance those two as a business editor and journalist? So if, if you look at the structure of business redefined, it's more of the flagship product is more the product, which is, uh, if I could say more mass targeted, it will pre predominantly be focusing on policy issues. Let me give you an example. The one which aired last night, we were discussing the issues of the public sector wage bill and the efforts by the salaries and remuneration commission to, to try and trim this down. There's a, there's a very interesting proposal by the SRC to cap the basic salary at a flow of 60% of the gross pay. And the whole argument here is that allowances in this, in this country, the public sector are just atrocious in terms of how big they are. So su such a topic is uh, resonating with the public. There are many people in the public service who have sent me questions. Why is SRC putting out this proposal? Why at this time do you think it will fly through the various approval steps that it goes through? And that's business redefined. And that's typically what would go on air on the business news at prime time every day. So CFO chat, as I did indicate earlier, there was a section of this market, which felt that when you host this C-suite executives, you need to interrogate them a lot more on the technical side. So if you're sitting with, for example, the CEO or CFO of whichever bank in this market, can we get an understanding of their cost of risk? Can we take, get more detail in terms of their cost to income ratios? Can we get a lot more nuance into what their dividend policy is like and how they see this evolving, especially in a COVID environment? So those are not the kind of things which you will then put on the mainstream, even if you do so, not as often. So hence we decided, no, let's spin off this segment. If you've noticed, CFO is predominantly on the digital platforms so that by the time you're clicking that link that you want to watch CFO chat, you really just want to watch it. You're not a victim of uh, the viewership of your house, whereby someone decides we will tune into NTV and we'll watch CFO chat. So that, has, that is how it's been. But I mean, surprise to you. We, we've received a lot of questions as to why we don't put CFO chat or TV. So sometimes this market sends you mixed signals and you're wondering, okay, so exactly how, how is this audience now evolving over time? But that's how we try to balance. So on the mainstream news at 9.30 every day, when you do the business and on business redefined, you'll be dealing more with the policy issues, not too much depth into what's happening in terms of the nuances of the capital markets. But then something like CFO chat is now designed to get to the interests of that group. Why we are now running away with the money as an MSME targeted show is that many of the players in this space will tell you, we have our issues. We think they're not being addressed and we want a platform where we can just speak to this. And oftentimes they'll see the big wigs on set and they even, they even shy away from appearing on, on a show like Business Redefined. So you, you basically just create a whole segment, which then speaks to it. And, and we witnessed that when we had our series of women in enterprise four months ago, it was basically women in business. They're not listed. It's, it, you, you're just running your own business. Give us your experience. How did you raise your capital? How do, do you go about bookkeeping? What are your expansion plans? How did COVID disrupt your business? The guests were amazing. The market response was even better. It just necessitated the, the structuring of a new platform, which then ensures that at least at the very least, we, we sort of are stepping on three market segments. So we have the CFO chat, which is extremely niched. We have business redefined, which is almost mid tier. And then we have now money, which now speaks to almost the more 
lower tier of the market in terms of audiences. So that's how, that's how we look at it. And that's the, those are the efforts we are making it in terms of market segmentation. And we, we just hope that the one, the new show also gives us a sort of responsive scene on Redefined and CFO chat. Are you mentoring young Kenyans in your field? And if yes, how many? And what one thing would you attribute as your uniqueness that you bring to business journalism yourself? Incidentally, I mean, yesterday I was media, a school of media cohort under the Nation Media Lab program. And basically just talking to them around issues of reporting business stories. Why is it important? Why should it be of interest to them? And uh, the, the good thing about Nation Media Group is that it creates a pipeline, a pipeline that you can support talent. The thing is like every other market, we're in a very competitive space. So talent hemorrhage can be a challenge. You've mentored someone so long and then they just bolt out into an entirely different media house. I mean, we wish them well. It's, this is life, this is business. I'm making very deliberate efforts in terms of uh, mentoring. One of the things which I've really been communicating out here is that I'm a strong believer that persons who essentially went for journalism as their first degree should make an effort to pick up the more professional courses. And for example, Casneb offers a lot of this because th th there's a pedestal it, it, it places you at. There's a, there's a knowledge advantage it gives you and, and, and it just enables you to be able to, for example, look at financial statements and give uh, a very compelling analysis of where a company is, not based on the, what they sent in the press release, but what the footnotes of that financial statement are actually telling you. And there are many stories that we pick through this kind of uh, analysis. So we are making an effort. I am personally making an effort here at NMG. Money by itself is one of the avenues through which we are trying to mentor and develop new talent to be able now to conduct uh, strong interviews, which retain audience. It's uh, a public agenda on issues of economic policy, especially this time when you're going into an election, it couldn't be more critical. At a personal level, at an NMG level, at NTV, I think we are making those deliberate efforts. So, I mean, who makes uh, a good business journalist? I think anyone who's deliberate on it, and especially because with, with the, what we do, you definitely will always be doing a lot of research, a lot of background checks. Sometimes, for example, when a company is releasing their earnings, you almost have to go back just back, just trying to understand exactly what, what, what is transpiring around this particular entity. So and a lot of effort, a lot of reading as well, and you need a very robust contact database so that you are able to get fresh information, which might not be easily available out there in terms of what's coming up and why should you be keen on it? So you need a contact base, you need a lot of research and just the dedication for it. It is my humble view that newsrooms might not be the best compensating in terms of your monthly paycheck, but just the, the sense that you are impacting society through public discourse is a very important thing for me. How did the shows um, make money? We scout for sponsors. We scout for sponsors sometimes. You will have a uh, company X coming and telling you, we have watched what you do. We like these conversations. We, we want to sponsor your show, you know, and, and sponsorship here does not mean that then it is directing content. It just means that uh, there'll almost be an intro board that business redefined is coming to you, brought to you by Nation Media Group, for instance, in case Nation had sponsored it, assuming. So we get sponsors and given the sort of uh, appetite we've seen, I mean, there's been some good appetite from the corporate side in terms of scouting for opportunity to sponsor the show. And, and that's how basically they, they are monetized. 
CFO is not making money yet. It's more building traction. And I think it's the product development process is uh, first of all, you put a product in the market, the market accepts it, the market resonates with it. Then slowly by slowly, you start seeing appetite now coming from corporates out here, whether it's government as well, looking to just to find a space. I should say from listening to Business Redefined, I think there is a sense in which most of your talks are very apt in terms of timing. So I want to ask, how far ahead do you plan? Because some days like it's maybe the 14th and they immediately find there is a chart that you've put out on, let's say, fuel. And then occasionally you also see like, I mean, was it this past week when ACB reported and you almost immediately had a talk with the CFO prepared for all the questions that I had in mind. So sometimes you PM some of the questions that I already have. So I would want to see how rigorous your planning and preparations goes into a single show. So first of all is that, for example, if you look at the capital markets, they, there is the calendar. So, you know, for example, around this time, we have banks releasing their Q3 earnings. So by that time, you have already reached out to this guys. Hey, you're releasing these numbers. I would like to speak to, to your CFO if it's acceptable. And we basically just have a deep dive into it. That is how sometimes you hear KCB released, let's say today at uh, three o'clock and at 8 p.m. you're seeing an an interview is being uploaded on the LTD YouTube channel is because by about 5.30, we had already booked an interview. We have sat with this guy based on the numbers they put out in the market and we've had a very good conversation around it. Sometimes it is issues you anticipate. So we know, for instance, anytime in the year, in the year around March, the finance bill will be a hot issue. And the finance bill has multiple stakeholders. So you speak to players like the Association of Manufacturers, what is your expectation? So that by the time the finance bill is dropping, you essentially had a recording which had various scenarios being considered and you just basically take what now speaks to what has materialized in terms of the final scenario. The preparation by itself can be quite intense. For instance, in mid this year when um, Centum released their full year, we had a very long conversation with the chief executive officer and that's because of the developments around the company. Of course, they've made exits, they are concentrated in real estate. So I'd already reached out and this is what I intend to ask you. Of course, depending on the numbers you release, some questions will emerge, but definitely our line of discussion will be along these areas. When you know, for example, the treasury has released the draft budget policy statement, you can clearly see where the next financial year's economic policy is angling towards. You're already lining up those interviews. And as you line them up, as you send your requests, you're, you're basically doing research in the background. So that in the event that they tell you, can you show up tomorrow? You basically are already armed with your questions from start to finish. So that's the sort of preparation that goes into it. Uh, I should also say that maybe my background then lends itself to the comfort within with which I'm able to do the preparation that goes into, into this, these shows. So whether it is a taxation policy, whether it is something in the capital markets, whether it's with the MSME space. It's an, a lot of research, uh, a lot of context because every, everything has context to it. So you always look at it within the contextual environment. So you can easily make these differences across various dynamics of how you are arriving at the conversation, Eric. So it needs a lot of also the ability to kind of sync a lot of things which are maybe disparate, but then like they rhyme in some sense. So I want to see like, how does your library look like? Like what books are there? What are you reading currently? And in terms of helping you also become a better business journalist and what are the top books maybe that have influenced you so far that you'd recommend to anyone who's starting out in a field like yours? 
Wow, I must say my library is huge. My library is, is, is quite, quite something. So currently I'm reading The Greatest Trade Ever by Gregory Zuckerman, if I'm not wrong. And this is basically a guy who bet against the markets in 2006. And when we had the 08, 09 implosion, this guy walked away with $20 billion. It, it's an amazing story if you read it. Some of the books which I think have really influenced uh, me, my favorite authors are uh, Sebastian Malaby. Sebastian Malaby is a Financial Times guy. And uh, this guy has a book titled More Money Than God, Hedge Funds and the Rise of the New Elite. And it's basically a conversation around the emergence of hedge funds, how they are structured, how they become so big in terms of wielding influence in the global financial markets and why they are such a force to reckon with. So it's, it's an amazing book. He also has a book titled The World's Banker. And The World's Banker is a story about the World Bank and some of the issues which go around the DFI financing, which then comes into these markets and you see the sort of impact it has. Very, very brilliant read. I also enjoy a lot of behavioral economics. There's a book titled Irrational Exuberance by Professor Robert F. Schiller. It's, you will enjoy it. If, if you're into capital markets and you're into bubbles and how to, to navigate bubbles, it's a very good read because this guy was writing this book around early 2000s, just after the dot-com bubble had gone bust. And he was speaking to issues of the market was really overheating at the time. One of the guys who can say they foresaw the 08 or 09 meltdown. Another guy that I like, oh, sorry, I should mention. Sebastian Malaby has a book titled The Man Who Knew. And The Man Who Knew is the story of Alan Greenspan. That's a former Fed chair. And that guy at the time was revered like, like no one else. But when, of course, we had the meltdown, it just changed the entire narrative. And, and, and it just speaks to how things flip in the markets in a single moment and how your reputation changes entirely. So those are the kind of books that I read. Uh, when I was starting out, I read a lot of developmental books. I read a lot of Robert Kiyosaki. I read a lot of Nassim Nicholas Taleb when, when he writes books like Fooled by Randomness, the, the role of chance in everything in the markets, an extremely brilliant read. I also read a lot of George S. Classon. He has an amazing book titled The Richest Man in Babylon. And it's basically financial literacy 101. What amount of your income do you, you set aside, for instance? It's, it's, a, it's a brilliant read. So yeah, the, the, the library I'd like to think is rich. It spans finance, economics, autobios. I also read a lot of books on music. Three Kings, the story of Dr. Dre, Didi and 50 Cent is an amazing book. I also read The Empire State of Mind, the story of Jay-Z. It's an amazing read. So yeah, the, the, the library is rich. I, I encourage guys to read as much as they can. Those are great resources that you've shared. I think uh, in terms of breadth uh, of reading, I think you read very broadly, I would say. But then since we see you on TV all the time, when do you read? And you're online also often. Uh, a further question would be, how do you spend your downtime when you're away from business reporting and maybe you're hanging out with family in that sense? Like, well, how do you do that? My unwinding is reading. That's, that's actually it. So one of the issues my wife, when we were starting out, was raising is how do you just spend so much time reading? I was like, actually, this is how I relax. So the way you, you hop onto the couch and you're watching a series or you're watching a movie is the same way I just go and pick a book and sit at the corner and it just gets so, you know, immersed into it. So that's how, that's how I do it. So I work Monday to Friday. On Saturday, I wake up to read. That's before the kids wake up. When you put them to bed, you try read a little and then you also read. 
retire. I also play a lot of chess and Scrabble. Those are the two games which uh, at least I have been able to identify my life with. I have tried the rest. I, I read a lot about football. I don't, I'm not an enthusiast of watching it. So when people are commenting in terms of, oh, this is a star player, I'm like, have you read his book on, <laughs> on, on this kind of issue? So there's, there's a very nice book the class of 1992 and it's, it's a very brilliant read the david beckham is inside there and a few other guys and you just i mean sports teaches you a lot it's only that i resonate with it through reading not through watching yeah so that's pretty much how i would answer that question i think you're a bit of a nerd you should uh, play some sports <laughs> we should get julian's out to play some sports bonnie you had two questions i think do you think kenya is right what does it take to position Kenya to such? Wow, that's a, that's a tough question. Is Kenya ripe for a full-time business channel? I'm sure we are all aware there have been attempts. There's at least been an attempt at this by Metropole. I think it is still still running. But the question that the question that emerges always in my mind is broadcast is a very expensive business. If you look at a typical shoot and the cameras that you need and the personnel that goes with you on set, it's quite something. Because in, in any typical business we define shoot, I'm there with two videographers and my show producer. That's how it starts. Then you need cameras, then you need lapels. So whoever starts a full-time business show must be sure about the, the monetizability of it, if I could put it that way. That you're in a business, you, finally your P&L must make sense. It really must make sense. And I think sometimes that is what we, we might lose sight of. And then you run it for six, six or so months, and then you start running into headwinds or even a year. The other thing is that the premium talent that the market wants to run business news is very expensive. And sometimes I feel like newsrooms are not ready to commit the sort of resources that talent will ask for. So there's an issue around compensation, because if you're coming from the investment banking space to into the newsroom, you, you want to be compensated almost the same way you are, or if not better on, on the newsroom. Such is not the case uh, many times. When I crossed over from transaction advisory coming into the newsroom, I took a very significant pay cut. You know, a very significant one. And it was a point of uh, disagreement between me and, and a few important people in my life. So it's, uh, is the market ready for it? I, I think wh whoever delves into that must be sure about their P&L or you must have a very good cash burn capacity before your business finally takes off and you even start to break even and now getting into the green territory. I want to ask specifically more about the shows that you've done. What's your best interview that you've done and what made it really good? And also on the flip side, what was the, the one you were prepared uh, very well for, but then it didn't end up the way you had intended it to. Maybe you can share a little bit of also reflections around what makes a really good show and on the flip side, what makes a bad uh, or at least a show that, which is not good enough. Eric, as you'd imagine, that's a tough one. But if I was to pick one of my most memorable episodes, I hosted uh, Dr. Edward Odundo, the former CEO of the Retirement Benefits Authority. So I, I mean, I called him, I was like, dude, this thing is happening starting in January and I would like to host you. And he was like, why not? So we sat down and we had a conversation. When that interview went on air, you know that interview which gives you clips, which when it's forwarded on WhatsApp, you see forwarded many times. That's what that interview did. And I think the visibility of Business Redefined was really bumped up courtesy of that interview because there are some nuggets he dropped in there and they were not essentially technical. For example, he said, when someone is retiring, I always advise them around five things. One, do not retire with any debt. And he gave his explanation behind it. 
two, when you retire, the most important thing you need is not pension. The most important thing you need is a medical cover and a robust medical cover for that sense. And the third thing he talks about is that when you retire, ensure you're in some form of business or another, because you're used to a very active life and then you retire and you're there and you're not well established in terms of getting yourself gainfully engaged. And he also mentioned just the importance of family. Now, that clip had such velocity and not just in Kenya. I got it from friends we were with in high school and they're now abroad, whether it's the States, Australia. This resonated with so many people across such demographics, across geographies. It was such a success. That show to date is such a success. Another show which I would cite was uh, such a hit in this market was when I sat down with the chief executive officer of Jubilee Group. That is Dr. Julius Kipuetich. And we were having this conversation around, does it make sense to build house, a house in the countryside, because of course we Kenyans have this thing about constructing in the countryside. I think you call them dead assets, right? Dead assets, yes. After the book by Hernando de Soto, if you've read it, The Mystery of Capital, it's an amazing book. You should read it if you haven't. It's, it was such a brilliant conversation and it resonated with Kenyans. Those who loved it, loved it to bits. Those who hated it, bashed us to the end of it. So those were two very successful shows. There was a show I hosted. I wouldn't say it was a failure, but I sat down with the Capital Markets Authority. And what were we discussing? We were discussing the regulatory sandbox. The market just did not connect to it. Uh, never mind, this is the platform where new products are being piloted. It just didn't resonate with people. And I think every time I look at the statistics behind that show, I'm like, why is this that this show just didn't catch on? Yet the content was really, really, really solid. And the funny thing is that that show had the discussion around uh, the questions that were emerging around uh, Centum at the time. So yeah, those are the shows I would mention. Quite, quite uh, revealing, quite uh, exciting. The feedback that you get tells you many things. I should mention something, Eric, before I, I wrap up. When Kenya got to the IMF facility in March this year, I sat down with my colleague, Dennis Okari, because I was convinced that Kenyans bashing the IMF on Twitter were not properly advised. So we had our discussion on air and let me tell you, when KOT decides to come for you, they come for you with a vengeance. It was another learning curve because the feedback, the feedback was quite passionate to say the least, Eric. Yeah. From my perspective, the, the Kenyans bashing the IMF, I felt it was, it was timely in the sense that they were venting a few frustrations that they've had around the IMF, but they haven't really had time. Uh, and I think there was a time when the IMF themselves hosted a show and uh, a Twitter space and they actually participated and asked the question. And I think they got, they get the notes, they get the memo when uh, Kenyans are a bit frustrated. But sorry about the, the bashing from Kenyans. I, I hope you still continue having conversations around that. What advice would you give young people are looking to enter into the business um, of financial business, journalism in general, but also uh, you've also been an analyst and also you've worked with the World Bank a little bit. Maybe you can tell us a bit about your experience there and also the kind of advice that you would give anyone who wants to start in a profession similar to yours. Yeah, uh, thanks. So advice I would give, uh, just be alive to destiny connectors. Let me tell you, like how I got into broadcast, my very first venture into broadcast, I was at a place giving a bottle of thanks and this guy came to me later on and he was like, have you ever tried, have you ever thought about doing broadcast? That's the late Robin Jogo made his soul rest in peace. He lost his life to COVID. And I was like, I, I haven't. I mean, dude, I'm, I'm in finance. I'm doing deal structuring on this side. So he told me, you, you give it a chance. You just don't know. Who would have known that today I would be a business editor at Enter. So destiny connector, they never come to you at your face, but somehow in, in your walk of life, and that's why life is a random walk, you actually do encounter them. The second thing I think is that um, no experience is wasted. 
When I left high school, my first venture, I got an internship at an investment bank. Fresh from high school, you have no idea what the capital markets is. And this was a time that the Safaricom IPO was happening. I learned so much about capital markets. I think a lot of what I discussed today is a pivot from my experience in the period between 2008 and 2010. The market was so vibrant at the time. For those of us who are privileged to have the advantage of being active in that space, you learned so much. And today I look back and I'm like, I mean, many thanks for that experience. So there's no experience. Whether you are in law school, that nothing stops you from coming to the news. Even if you're in engineering, nothing stops you from coming to the newsroom. And I think you come in with the advantage of a lot more enriched conversations, which then have a greater impact in terms of what, what your life holds ahead. So just be ready for opportunities. I think that's, that's what I would say. Just be ready for opportunities because when they come, trust me, they, they, they unlock a lot. And like the, that concept that you've shared, especially about people connect you to a destiny. I, I think more often than not, you also need to be ready at that point. So I think read as much as you can prepare well. And of course, when the opportunity comes, grab it with both hands. There was another question I had asked about maybe your experience with the World Bank and how that's different from the journalism that you do. And of course, like the corporate world that you are part of. But before you also answer that, there is a friend of the show here called Kenya's Market Map. They are new. They do a lot of podcasts. So they, I think they have a question for you. Maybe you can unmute it. Ask. Thank you. Mwango, um, my name is Kigen Kiplimo. I'm one of the co-hosts of Kenya's Market Map, which is a podcast that talks about business and finance. So my question is, how do you navigate the dilemma of having a content that might sound geeky for the segment of the market? And that is for fine people who are deep into finance and also the same type of content, trying to break it down for to try and grab a large sphere of the market. Thanks. Julian, you can answer those two questions and maybe also give us uh, maybe your closing thoughts in terms of the show today. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Keegan. And uh, I'm an enthusiast of Kenya's Market Map. I follow your discussions, especially stock of the week. I like listening to what you guys are talking about. It's impressive. So it's a huge dilemma. And I'll tell you, to date, I receive bashing from two sides of this market. One is that the guys will feel you're too elitist. It's almost like you don't understand your audience. And then there's a segment of the market, which is like, you have placed business redefined at this level. And we feel tonight's show was a letdown in terms of depth and rigor of going into these issues. So it's, it's a dilemma that I can't tell you I found a solution to, I struggle with. And many times when I've edited the show and the rough draft is out, I normally bring in my show producer, a guy called Mark Ndome. Mark Ndome is a comms guy, nothing in finance. And I normally ask him, just listen to the part one of this show. Is this something you relate to? Are there things which you think are a bit off? And his input is always quite immeasurable. And sometimes he will tell you, no, this questionnaire, move it to the, to the very end of it. Because if you put it in the middle of part one, you will lose the audience entirely. So start off with the lighter side, then we'll see how to build on. To be honest, yes, it's a big struggle. It's a big challenge that I think even players like Mark must be facing. But we, we try it. We really try our best. My closing thoughts, Eric, would be that let's support our business journalists. We have very strong talent in this market. Sometimes we just don't receive the support that we need, even from the audience. You know, you will do three very good stories. You do one and the tag of Giveri Media will never leave you. You know, you do one which is, if I could say, weak or not appropriate and man, you will never be forgiven. So let's support the business journalists. We are all human. We are just trying to make ends meet and enjoying what we do.
Thanks, Eric. <laughs> Thank you, Julian. We do support you. We listen to as much as we can of your content. So I think you should be aware that we do admire. I think Market Cup agrees with me that you are a good standard in terms of what you want to do. There was a question that I had asked. Maybe you can answer it before you close about your experience with the World Bank and LSE and now. So how that compares to your general experience in business and journalism. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Eric. So let me start with the LSE. So I contribute to the London School of Economics Business Review. And on that platform, I mainly focus on sub-Saharan Africa. So remember in my previous life, I was the head of research covering a staple of 10 economies in the SSA, including Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Ethiopia, Uganda, and it was quite an exciting phase. So with the LSE, I write basically on emerging issues. I haven't done so in a while because of course they, they have a policy around if you're in mainstream media, it becomes tricky for you to contribute because it's almost as though you have a skew. I was coming from a think tank into a newsroom, so it changed the dynamics. I was wearing a different hat. With the World Bank, it's more about the question of is your policy initiative reaching the bottom of Kenya's pyramid from a communication standpoint? And it's basically just thinking through some of the programs they are having. For instance, when they give Kenya an 80 billion shillings loan in June this year, the question is, what are the policy imperatives you want to advance with this? And we discussed issues like NHIF, Kenya Power, etc. And how do you cascade that now to the ordinary citizen and what it means for them? So it's more of the communications and putting a spotlight on how this trickles down to the final intended beneficiary. All right. Thank you so much, Julian, for joining us today. Thank you for making the time. I know the evening's actually super busy. I'm very grateful that you came to the show. We hope that we can have you also for future discussions around markets. Thank you, Market Cup, and thank you, Bonnie, for being a co-host and also for preparing a lot of questions also in the background. And we also have Becky and Sud and Eric also who have been helping out to produce this event today. On that note, Kwaheri for today. Bye.